0: Italian Wine Podcast is a proud media partner of Wine2Wine 2020. This November 23rd and 24th is the seventh edition of the Business Forum Wine2Wine, featuring 70 sessions dedicated to the wine industry. Normally held in Verona, Italy, this is the first ever full digital edition of the Forum. On November 21st, Wine Spectator will kick off the proceedings with a free-to-register opera wine presentation, featuring the 100 best Italian wines of the year. Wine2Wine wine 2020. Tickets available at Wine2Wine.net. Italian Wine Podcast. Cincin cin with Italian Wine People.
1: hello, this is the Italian wine podcast with me, Monty Wald and my guest today is Paul Caputo. did I say that right
0: you did indeed yes
1: okay and just tell us what you do
0: yes well i'm um i'm a a wine writer I suppose I've been in the wine trade for probably 12, 13 years now, started out in sort of importing and retailing to private client wine lists. And then-
1: well, whereabouts was that? Which country were you in?
0: Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm in the UK. I'm in Chester in the Northwest in the one of the great wine areas of the world, I'm sure. Yeah. So I, I ended up, as I said, importing wine from the, the South of Italy and, and then selling to customers up here in the Northwest. And then I, I gradually transitioned into more sort of PR, marketing and communications roles and that kind of Inspired me to pursue writing really as a as the main thing I do in wine.
1: What was it that attracted you about South of Italy? I mean, you know, you're starting a wine business and you're thinking, right? Well, I want to make money. I'm going to be selling Pomerol and Poulini Montrachet. Why would you want to go down to the deep south of Italy?
0: <laughs> yes, uh, Alianico wasn't exactly um, wasn't exactly in demand at the time. I must admit. I, no, my my grandfather was born in Basilicata, so. I had a family connection down there and I kind of found wine by accident, really. It wasn't a sort of planned attempt to get into the wine business. I just had a little one of those euphoric vineyard experiences and it just happened to be in in Basilicata. And that inspired me to, you know, to try to learn the business, really.
1: So that was that Italian family you had down there then?
0: Yeah, my, my grandfather was born in the, the Vultere area of Basilicata and found himself in the UK during the Second World War. And then he met an English lady, which is my grandmother, and, and he stayed here. When I was about 20, I went back to, to Ginestra, the little village, to sort of find out where he was from and, and what kind of life he might have lived there. And, and it just so happened it was in the middle of the Alianico del Vultere dock area. So I got hooked so to speak
1: that's funny my um my italian partner's mum is from uh, basilicata all
0: oh, right okay yeah
1: yeah so i can say that i've got also got basilicata roots as well so in terms of um so you do a podcast right yes okay tell us about your podcast
0: yeah i mean obviously very very early days i've I've only done about 12 episodes and, and called it a series um so it's, it's obviously nothing compared with with this one but yeah i mean during lockdown you know, there was a lot of uncertainty around what to do and how to do it. And I've always been listening to podcasts, certainly over the last seven or eight years, really, not just about wine, but, but about all sorts of things. And a podcast seemed a natural vehicle, I think, f- for me to, you know, if I was going to have a go. I must admit, I, did, I had no idea how the technical side of it might work, you know, about how to record and host and distribute the thing. But I, in theory, I, I think I knew how i wanted it to sound
1: okay so what was the tone that you were going to set obviously wine can be a very bamboozling topic not just for people in the industry but obviously especially for members of the public who's your podcast aimed at
0: yeah i think it's probably aimed at sort of the wine trade in the uk and you know anybody who is really into wine it's not really aimed at the the casual consumer who you know although i would i'd like to think it's not inaccessible it's just a sort of talk with guests a little bit on a level that maybe implies some sort of vague understanding of you know of wine and perhaps some of the different grapes and regions of Italy but yeah I think you know the the wine world is massive and no matter how long you've been in it it's very difficult to understand everything about a region and so hopefully there are things about it that might be of interest to different aspects of people's wine Knowledge and experience.
1: So, who's coming on your podcast? Are you sommeliers, importers, distributors?
0: And there's, there's been a, a bit of a mix so far. We've had some people who maybe don't have a huge reputation, and we've obviously had some people that do. Obviously, Stevie Kim's been on to talk about Via, and we've had um, Alessandro Mansnagetti who talked about his Barolo mapping. But we've also had some lesser known importers who are just deeply passionate about certain areas of Italy, really, and certain little specialized subjects.
1: So in one of your biographies we got you, you seem to have an interest in sustainability. What does what does that mean in relation to wine for you?
0: Yeah, I, I thought I thought you might ask me that. I remember when I first started out in wine watching Chateau Monte on on the TV and obviously I I know you're you know you've built your career around a, a passion and knowledge of biodynamic wines and natural wines and sustainability so I'm I can't claim to be um a huge ambassador for biodynamic wines but yeah I mean I think on a personal level, I I prefer to drink wines that have received less intervention. You know, whatever that may mean to people, but I don't, I don't know where that might have come from. Perhaps last year I did invest in a in a little biodynamic wine bar in Chester. The sustainability element may have come from there.
1: I mean, it's always difficult, isn't it, the sustainability? Because we talk about sustainability, and we're you know sometimes there's always that confusion about: are we just talking about the vineyard? Are we talking about the winemaking? Or are we talking about the distribution chain or are we talking about, you know, end users and how that wine gets there? So it's obviously a big, that is not always easy to.
0: In some of my writing, I've discussed ideas around sustainable business practices in, in the wine trade. And whether that be, as you say, at a at a winery level or perhaps, you know, even as a an importer or a retailer in terms of the way it tries to. To communicate with customers on an ongoing basis and maintain those those customers. So yeah, I suppose sustainability in that sense is is a term I've probably overused in places.
1: I mean, are you. I mean, is your core business is that um, on pre- premise trade or is it um, private sales or? Uh,
0: no, to be honest, I, I do a lot of um, PR work now and, and kind of behind the scenes communication either you know, the actual crafting of communications or or perhaps just advising on the infrastructure around building mailing lists, integrating, you know, the different opportunities for communication. And and so a lot of the stuff I do is kind of not really that visible, you know, immediately. But, but running parallel to that, I suppose, Vinerandum um, is a website I've been working on more publicly, which is, it started as something between sort of Vino Random and Memorandum, and it was meant to be a sort of a long list of producers and regions and grapes, and it's kind of evolved into what's hopefully a a useful resource.
1: Is that an online resource?
0: Yeah, it's VinoRandom.com, and it's, you know, in theory, you can type any grape or region or producer or, you know, and you can navigate through an encyclopedia, if you like, from there. Unfortunately, every time I look at it, there's constantly bits missing, and it's a very ambitious project it's not just italian wines it's it's every country and region and grape and all the, the synonyms so it's it's a it's a long-term project
1: It's a hell of a lot of stuff to build i think for um but what is it i mean is it is it like a free website or is it subscription or how does it work
0: yeah at the moment it's a it's a free resource it's the website where you can literally you go on and you have a, a search box and you can browse from there and it's at the moment a platform for me to host some of my writing work. And I've had some other friends and other industry colleagues who who I know who have very kindly submitted articles themselves for it. It's growing quite nicely now. The, the traffic's increasing to it. The interest level around it is growing. And it's been a couple of years sort of building out the database and the, the different rules for the different, the different regions, the different appellations.
1: So people write, but do you commission people or do they just you know, send you an email to hey, listen, I'd like to write a thousand words on I don't know Brunello or or Pinot Grigio. How does it work?
0: Yeah, well, a, a little bit of both, really. Initially, it was based around favour swapping and back scratching, and some friends of mine, some other Vinitaly. Ambassadors have very kindly wrote some thoughts about different things, but now, yeah, we're we're maybe getting towards the point where we can commission things, and albeit we'll not hugely lucrative, I suppose at this particular moment in time. But yeah, I mean, certainly anyone who is interested in in writing and looking for some opportunities should definitely get in touch. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a blank canvas, really. We have a you know, there's a lot of a lot of regions and a lot of grapes to potentially uh, inspire some reflection on.
1: Yeah, well, that's the beauty of online, isn't it? With a with a paper book, you're you're really stuck. You know, there's the, the it's you're in four walls, but on the online, you're not. So that's the advantage, I suppose. But also, you have got so much content potentially to fill. So, are you did? Did you do the Vinitoli International Exam? I,
0: I did. Yeah, I, I did it in 2019. Yeah, last April, I did it in Verona.
1: And how did, how did you get on?
0: It yeah. It was uh, it was an interesting experience. I, I passed um, first time, fortunately, which was which was good. But I must admit, in the run up to it, I had no idea really what the standard would be or, or what kind of people would be on the course. Um, I think.
1: What did you expect?
0: I don't know really. It, obviously, it coincided with vin Italy, so it was a, you know, it was a nice. I was in going to be in Verona anyway. And I, I received this email and I thought, oh, actually, I quite like the sound of that. I quite like the sound of being part of that group. And I think I did also know Kevin Gagnon, who's a, an ambassador. I think he passed a few years earlier. I w- was on a press trip with him when he was studying originally for his exam. So, it, so it, I, I was vaguely aware of it, but I didn't know much more than the basic headlines about it. But I, it was fantastic that the group of people that I met at, you know, last April was a really strong group, I thought. And I think many of us are, are still in touch. Um, and I think probably will you know, I've managed to travel around Italy with, with some of those people. And yeah, I, I was very impressed.
1: But how important is that to you? I mean, not just doing the exam, obviously testing yourself and being forced to learn um, stuff that you maybe never learned before and then the opportunity to actually spend time in the country with like-minded people and obviously very knowledgeable people. How how important was that to you?
0: Yeah, very, actually. I mean, from a personal perspective, I'd perhaps become a little bit bored with Italian wine, and that's really because my understanding of what was going on had slipped a little bit really you know I started started out when I was 22 23 I'd formed my stereotypes of what was happening in various regions and I'd kind of become a little bit too attached to them it was great to go and talk to people who are running businesses related to Italian wine all over the world and you know receive their their, their points of view on things. And I think obviously that the, the Northwest of England is not the best place to get that kind of industry insight from, you know, you can become a little bit isolated. And so, yeah, it was great to see that once you remove that UK centric Prosecco and Pinot Grigio bubble, you know, there's actually a tremendous amount of things Happening, you know, throughout Italy, and being forced to delve into all these, you know, at times obscure grape varieties is is uh, is really good. It's it's a it's a great opportunity, I think, for anyone.
1: What are some of your favourite varieties as a as a wine drinker, and what are your are some of your favourite Italian varieties in terms of business that you know that, that keep the that pay the bills?
0: Yeah, well, I think psychologically, I'm very attached to Alianico. You know, it's a, it's it's quite a sentimental variety to me.
1: Yeah, you can take. The- Way out of the south, but you can't take the
0: south out of the boy. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it was quite interesting because the blind tasting wine on my exam was Alianico del Vulture, and I, I knew it immediately. It's just that it's, you know, just so much experience tasting that variety from such a, a young age that I just recognised it straight away. So, but I must admit, beyond Alianico, some of the varieties from the south are not my favorite you know I, I must admit i do like the cooler climate varieties if you like and um, i like perhaps more of the red fruit character and the high acidity than you know black fruit and, and custom toasted oak but
1: you're jumping from the deep south up to the uh up to the north of italy with a,
0: yeah i fled to the french border almost yeah i shouldn't say that um certainly the, you know the the wines of uh of etna i think i've i've been really impressed impressed with i mean my wife's actually from the etna region so i've also had quite a good experience with you know, with norella mascalese and with the different crews of the Appalachian.
1: i think it's fascinating just in terms of the texture of the wine i mean they they've got a very distinct texture I and mean, obviously the volcanic soil and the, and the, the luminosity and the, uh, the constant winds and and all that so sort of. i just love the texture of those wines and they're sort of big wines but they don't feel heavy
0: yeah, absolutely. And I, I I kind of feel, I feel that maybe that trend might go north a little into Calabria. I think that's another possibly exciting place to create that style, if you like. Do you think the
1: UK market is still a little bit um, fuddy-duddy about um, accepting sometimes unpronounceable foreign grape variety names? Obviously, we can say Chardonnay and we can say um, Sauvignon Blanc quite easily, um, Merlot easily, but some of the Italian great variety named, can a little bit complicated do you think that's a bit of a, a barrier that we have to get through or all or people that sell wine like you have to try and get past that
0: yeah i, I do think that i'm often accused of being a, a little bit negative in that sense but i do think that italy is a big challenge and i think there are many people in the wine trade who are challenged by italy and it, you know its geography and the the language if you like i think if you're an italian speaker it's very easy but if you're not it can be quite hard to get a handle on it all. And I think, I mean, I, I did a, a, a virtual press trip with the Prosecco Consorzio the other day, and, and obviously their DOCG is um, Corneliano Valdobbiadene Superiore. And then you, you add some of these additional geographic terms to the wines and you put them on the wine list and you just think, this is a different vibe to the, the kind of Prosecco request I've had over the last 10 years. But yeah, I think if a merchant or an importer can Manage to get the consumer around that language barrier. The stylistic opportunity for consumers is is massive.
1: Which which parts of Italy are on your hit list? The areas that you haven't visited yet, but you're definitely wanting to go to, or would like to go to? Yeah,
0: I really want to have a route round um, Frulli, Frulli Venezia, Giulia. I, I'm I'm quite well travelled in Italy over the years, and I think that's one. advantages of the- working for myself is I've had the opportunity to, you know, extend some of my visits a little bit but fruli and some of the border area in the, in the very north of italy is is somewhere that i've not had the opportunity to spend as much time as i would like in and, and sardinia as well i was doing a an event in Cagliari recently but unfortunately only lasted a couple of days and i think sardinia is potentially very interesting as well i i, th- I just think that the producers are starting to move away from that commercial style perhaps that maybe they've relied on in the past you know the the wines have never been bad but they've always been just okay you know they're correct wines but they're not hugely exciting but i think some of the producers are, you know the younger generation are now taking over and they're they're starting to push the barriers a little bit more with what they do in the vineyard and what they do in the, in the cellar
1: do you think also it's a quick question of yields maybe a lot of sort of cooperative wineries there maybe there's a sort of a bulk So they can be a sort of a bulk.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I I think even if if you're a family with only, you know, six or seven hectares, you know, or even less, I think maybe in the past you might have considered selling your grapes because it's just not really commercial. I think, you know, a lot of people who are in their 20s and 30s are looking at these social media tools and they're seeing the, the branding opportunities of doing their own projects, even if they may not on day one, be hugely commercial.
1: Where's your next trip?
0: Uh, well, my next trip should have been next week to um, to Emilia-Romagna, but the constant rule changing is causing a, a bit of trouble, really. So uh, we'll have to see. I, I'm, in theory, judging at uh, Radici del Sud in Bari in November, but again, unclear what's going to happen at this point.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. That's a really great event. That's one of those events, if you've never heard of it, it's called Radici del Sud Southern Roots. And you get invited, and you only get invited once. You only get one shot at going there, but it's a very interesting trade um, event for people um, wanting to get to know some of those in, uh, local great varieties from the from the south. Really, it's well worth going if you can uh, if you can make
0: it. Mm, yeah, well, th- this is obviously my first go, as you say, and, and um, yeah, ov- obviously wine to wine theoretically is just after it. So I suppose we're all waiting to see what the what the italian government does next
1: well fingers crossed if you do go i will see you there because i'll be there in a, in a couple of weeks
0: so fabulous okay
1: look forward to meeting you in person thanks to my guest paul caputo uh, thanks for coming on the italian mind podcast uh, you've got lots of plans and um, in the short term we do wish your business Vinorandum every success and we hope you can uh, carry on what doing what you're doing and obviously it's something that you love as well
0: so thank you very much thank you for having me no worries. okay cheers ciao